Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Your Mortgage Process. I'm, of course, your host, Greg Wareham. So you ever wonder, how do I become a multimillionaire? You know, and in my experience, people have accumulated a seven-plus figure net worth. They've really kind of excelled in a few different areas. Some to real estate, right? Rental, property, value appreciation, leveraging other people's money. Uh, number two, business owners, you know, which is a great uh, industry or great way to go about building equity in something, driving big revenue, but it also comes with high risk. A uh, high-end job, you're a CEO, you're a Wall Street person, executive, celebrity, athlete, and investing in smart financial planning. Now, any of these, when managed correctly, can skyrocket someone's net worth. And many people with wealth have likely mastered several of these or all of these. So for today's show, I wanted to focus just on one area, disciplined and focused financial planning. And in the big picture, you know, one specific financial plan, it doesn't fit everybody, right? Financial planning is a product of someone's individual goals, age, risk tolerance, along with a ton of other criteria that our guest today will talk about. Now, when you look at time value of money, I mean, to me, that's like the eighth wonder of the world. Right. You put a you start with a small amount of money. It becomes a big amount of money over the course of time, given the right investment strategy. And I'm going to give you a, a quick example of that. So let's say somebody wanted to have a million dollars. If they were to save thirty five dollars a day over 30 years, earning a six percent rate of return that we've accumulated a million dollars, you know, operating the presumption that you haven't paid taxes on it or anything like that. Now, to put that into perspective, that gives the individual a total investment of 385000 and they would have earned dividends or interest of 615000 right? It's like magic. And what did you really do? You hired the right person to work with to be able to accumulate that over the course of time. Now, again, everybody's different, so I don't want to minimize that cost per day, but with a disciplined expense management and the right plan, it can potentially be achievable for anybody. Now, time, in my opinion, is your best friend when it comes with a, to a disciplined financial plan. In that same scenario of a million dollars, if you could achieve that over 40 years with an investment of under $20 a day, and you can imagine what 50 years does, or you know, bigger investment over a shorter period of time. But in order to help shed some light on a comprehensive financial plan, I'd like to introduce our guest today, who's an expert in this area, Chris Gregorio. Greg, thanks for having me. I truly appreciate the uh, opportunity to speak to people about this uh, subject. And uh, financial planning is generally what I've been doing, what I'm specializing in. Um, and it's interesting. At the beginning of my career, I didn't process really what a good quality financial plan would be. But over time, I learned that sometimes planning is actually more important than the investment themselves. Sure. Um, so, you know, when I speak to somebody, like you said, there's so many different things that come into a financial plan, which people aren't really expecting. Um, and when they sit down and they do a plan with me, um, and we go through that process, um, there's a lot of things that come out that they've never, you know, never really figured out. Oh, sure. Out. Yeah. You got to go deep on everyone to figure out exactly what they're trying to accomplish short, long term. What's your background, Chris? How did you get into the industry? Yeah, so about 22 years ago, okay. I've been in the industry over two decades now. Um, I really just kind of fell into it. You know, I'd gone to college, I got my business degree, I came out, 
like a lot of people who have a business degree, didn't know which aspect of business I wanted to choose, started thinking about accounting, but didn't like the idea of sitting and kind of crunching numbers all day. Sure. So well, that sounds like fun. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> at least for me. You know, at least no, for I me. Preaching um, to the choir. Yeah. So uh, I decided at that point to take some uh, financial planning classes, some other classes um, mm -hmm. outside after college. Um, and at that point, I just liked it. And I liked the fact that you could help people, you know, sure. and, and, you know, we're not, we're not working with anything tangible. So really when, now that I'm working with a, you know, I worked with a grandfather and now their kids and right. now their kids, and I'm working on sometimes third generation and now kids are going to school on the planning that we set up two decades ago. Um, it's just Great, really Chris. exciting to me. Yeah. How rewarding yeah. is that? It's right? re really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can imagine. So, and I know you work for a huge company. Everyone recognizes the name. We're not going to mention it today. And you're extremely successful in what you do. Now, I, I know that it's different for everybody, Chris, depending on your individual goals and, and a couple of things that I already mentioned. What does a comprehensive financial plan look like? Like, what are the broad strokes? All right. So I, th I think when people hear the word financial plan, a lot of people pull back, right? Because right? they think of this, and, and some of my competitors do this, they throw together 100 pages of financial planning with every graph and every chart and every possibility that could possibly come, mm -hmm. all right? Um, so when you say what is it, what my financial plans, all right, I try to break them down, all right, okay. into a couple different parts. Um, and it, it starts obviously with assets and then it goes down to, you know, you could break it down to the assets, needs and wants of the clients and goals, obviously the most important. Sure. That's what they've worked their whole life to get to. The biggest part of financial planning right now is how long are we actually planning for? Because when I did a financial yeah. plan 20 years ago, all right, we were planning for 20 years in retirement. Right. Now we do a financial plan today. We're planning for 40 years in retirement. Right. So you were talking about time value of money. Well, it's yeah. the same type of thing, right? I mean, you have to really plan for some some plans are longer than the people worked for. We've actually planned for. Wow. So um, so the, so when you say what does it look like, it looks a little bit different for everybody. Mm -hmm. But the way we do our plans is we we start out, like I said, with uh, assets, goals, needs, wants, and then we really, you know, and then obviously hypothetical returns risk tolerance, and then we work into cash flow distribution, which mm. in any financial plan that I've worked with, cash flow distribution, which is each year, how does cash flow come into you, right? right? Either through social security, pensions that you might've had, through your investment income, real estate, or any other, you know, any other um, items that they get as far as cash is concerned. Sure. That's what is the most important because they can see how that distribution changes over time, how inflation works over time. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's important. You look at like today's day and age with inflation being so high. Now it doesn't, I know it doesn't meet the average, but you got to be prepared because some products, the inflation are going to, is going to impact more negatively than other products, right? Yeah. Huge aspect of a financial yeah. plan is inflation. You know, when someone says to us, we need a hundred thousand dollars a year to retire comfortably and be able to do what we want and live the way we want to live. Um, you know that hundred thousand dollars in year two is one hundred three thousand, right? And that hundred that hundred three thousand, one hundred six thousand, or better. You mm -hmm. know, if you're compounding it, because a two hundred dollar meal today is going to cost four hundred dollars in twenty years. <laughs> so maybe ten. So, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, maybe if, I don't know what it's going to cost. Right. So the point being is, if you're not building in that into the plan, and yeah. somebody just says, "I need this set number," a lot of people don't understand. 
you know, the time value of money and how that inflation is eating up their savings. Yeah, and that's a fantastic point because inflation rate is going to be, what, 2% historically, right? Yeah, we use 2, two to 3% three. on yeah. our plans, yeah. 2 to 3 yeah. so now you're earning 3% on your money, you're breaking even. That's right. right? And then depending on if we're, they have qualified money, which is anything in an IRA or anything in a 401k, mm-hmm. all right, or non-qualified money, um, the non-qualified money is going to be taxed when they take money out of it. And qualified money is going to be taxed when they take money out of it. So right. if they haven't planned properly and they don't have maybe some tax-free buckets or other income, now taxes are getting taken into account as well. So you have inflation eating it up, yep. and then you have taxes eating up the distributions. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about a 401k. So are you from the school of everyone should be maxing that out? Like, What do you think about a 401k as an investment? Yeah, so a four, I mean, a four hundred one k is important. I think you got to really look at there's a, there's a couple there's a couple problems with four hundred one ks. There's pros and cons to anything. Sure, yeah. All right. Um, so I think four hundred one ks are probably one of the least managed assets. Okay, that anybody has, hmm. but probably one of the biggest assets people retire with. Sure. And why is that? Well, I think most people don't get a lot of education, if not mostly all people don't get education on their 401ks. And that's one thing that we try to do is really educate people on their 401ks and pull that into the financial plan and the process. But um, you really have to look, number one, into the company and what they're contributing to the 401k. Sure. You know, if you have a company that's not contributing any sort of match into your 401k, you're going to think differently than a company who's matching the first 4% of contributions. Mm. So, you know, a company that's matching 4% of your contribution, you put in whatever the number may be, let's say $10,000, and they're giving you $400 or you know, whatever their, their income's a hundred thousand, let's say, and they're contributing four thousand dollars. Sure, but you've made four percent on your money year one. Right, that's something to look at. And I'd say you'd probably want to, you know, you'd probably want to at least hit that number, so you're mm. getting at least that match number. Sure, all right. Um, but if they're not contributing anything to the four hundred one k, then you may look at it differently and look at other avenues of where that money to go. I, I have a question for you yeah. about that. So you look at a four hundred one k, and if you have a company that's not matching your four hundred one k, and you're just in the you're in that four hundred one k plan, whichever company they choose, right? Uh, the employer chooses, if you didn't put the money in there, do you have the ability to then self-fund an IRA for an equivalent dollar amount? Yeah, you could. Okay. So if you're not in a 401k, you could go into an IRA. Okay. But you, you know, business owners, you had mentioned business owners as part of accumulating wealth. Business yeah. owners have a lot of other opportunities mm-hmm. that if you're not working with the right plan or you're not putting together a a good financial plan you may not see. Right. So that plays into a, a you know a self-sponsored IRA like a SEP IRA sure. you could do. A lot of people do some type of insurance policy like a variable life where you could put money away and then borrow off that money tax free down the road. Right. Um, you could set up uh, you know an HSA account. All right. You can employ children. There's a lot of other ways that you could. So a W two employee, we're going to plan differently yeah. than a business owner 1099. Makes employee. sense. Yeah. I mean, W-2 is like the worst because the worst. W-2, you're never going to pay more taxes than that's if you're it. a W-2 employee. That's it. There's nothing to write off. You write off too much. You fall into AMT right. and, and, and that's it. So now in the thought process on that qualified retirement money, the IRA, the 401k, it's that when you retire, your tax bracket should, in theory, drop. In theory. Correct? Right. Okay. So in theory, and it depends, again, if they're doing a lot of real estate and they're bringing in a lot of rental income, maybe not so. You know, okay. um, good you point. Know, right. Yeah. If their pension is real high, maybe not, maybe not. So it really depends, you know, on how yeah. their distributions are being taken in their retirement. And that is a major part of financial planning is how are we going to distribute the money in the most tax effective way? Yeah. Possible. And, you know, you've mentioned that now a few times and yeah. that's like gives me a lot of clarity on it. Yeah. But it's all about the distributions at the end, because someone who's 
Because I, I think about it and say, oh, tax bracket drops, so you should be in a better position when you retire and start to withdraw that money, but it's not necessarily the case. It depends on the whole financial picture. Correct. And in a lot of 401ks, especially the ones that we build out for companies, yeah. and the ones that are being built out today, generally, even if we're not building them out, if we're not involved, they all have a Roth contribution, or most of them have a Roth contribution segment of their 401k. Right. So if you take a high earner who's really not taking a major benefit from that 20000 or 26500 that they could put away, they really don't need that tax benefit now, they should be maxing out that part of the Roth portion mm. of their 401k, which is not limited to um, the amount of income that they get, where they couldn't do it outside. And I can't tell you how many people just actually miss that. Well, you know what? Let's talk about that a little bit more yeah. detail, because so you have your Roth IRA. And if you're married, there's still limits that you can put into it every year. Yeah, correct? that's right. That's right. You, you, well, yes, there's limits to it, and there's the limits of amount of income that you could receive in using a, a Roth IRA. Got it. Okay. Um, one strategy that we use that a lot of people don't know is what's called a backdoor Roth IRA. Okay. And it really comes in, it's very timely right now, actually, for us. We're speaking to a lot of our clients about it because what happens is when the market goes down as it has, um, what they could do is they could actually take money from their IRA. All right, move it into a, excuse me, their 401k. There's a portion that they sure. can move into their IRA. Mm. All right, pay taxes because they don't have to pay taxes, they, but they actually move it into a Roth IRA, not a regular traditional IRA. Okay. So we recommend that to people when the market's down because obviously they're paying taxes on a lesser amount. Yeah, no, and that it's makes sense. That a lot of people don't know. Now, if you were to move that money and pay taxes, is that subject to a capital gain tax? Or is it your regular income? It's subject to a taxable gain tax. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that could be really super beneficial. Absolutely. Yeah, we got to talk in more detail. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't know about that. Yeah. And this is a very timely time to do it. You want to do it when the market's down, not when it's up, and you're paying the taxes on the higher amounts. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And then you had mentioned on the 401k up to 26500 That's if you're over the age of 50? Uh, right. You, you have a catch-up. Well, okay, a five or six thousand dollar catch up, but they change it every they change it every year. Oh, I think Nick has a question. I'm going to chime in real quick. Oh. Now, could you move over assets, or it has to be cash? It depends on the provider, okay, okay. and it depends Just on curious. the institution that you're transferring it over to. All right, so there's what's called proprietary product and non-proprietary product, and not to go into too much detail, but let's just say hypothetically, Fidelity. There may be some Fidelity funds that the the receiving firm can't hold. Okay. And those would have to be liquidated. So there could be one of the negatives in doing that strategy is there is a time that you are out of the marketplace. Makes sense. Um, both for the transfer and then maybe the liquidation of those products to be moved over. Do you pay the penalty if you're under 59 and a half when you do that? You're not paying a penalty if you're it's going it back into, into qualified. That's correct. It's okay. going back into qualified to qualified. Pretty good. Yeah. So how do you think, shifting gears a little bit, uh, how do you feel about dollar cost averaging? People investing X amount of dollars every month forever. So Warren Buffett's been saying this his whole right. life, right? And, <laughs> and they, and they think he's boring. I don't yeah. know, but he's not. Yeah. He, he's actually right. And and you know that that's part of my job is is sometimes being a psychologist, especially when things are bad. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, dollar cost averaging, personally to me, both in my own investment life and my clients has been the most successful thing you could possibly do. And by the way, pro of 401k, okay, is that you're 
people are continuously cost averaging. You, you for, you're right. forced you're to. You're forced to, yeah. right? You put in that 3% or 4% or whatever your number is, and you continuously cost averaging. They may not even know that they're doing it, okay? They're just right. looking at their 401k statement, oh, I'm down, or oh, I'm up, or whatever the case may be, but they continue, and that's why they become such effective and you know, effective retirement vehicles down the road sure. um, that are high valued because they did that cost averaging. Sure. But when you have money that you're not forced to do, all right, um, we have to talk a lot of people down and just you know make them invest. No, I wouldn't say make them. It's their money, their educate decision. Them. But educate yeah. them. And what we'll do is we'll do a lot of that. You know, we'll 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 break out some calculators and some tools that are proprietary to us, and we'll show them. Look, if you put money in back in. 2000, you put money back in 2008. If you put money back in all of these different finance during COVID, yeah. okay, um, and, you know, you've always made more money. The people that invest when times are bad will always make more money. Right. You know, so. No, that brings up a couple great points on it, either from dollar, dollar cost averaging in your 401k, you probably, depending on your income level, you may want to strategize that in a fashion so it comes out pretty much equally over a 12-month time frame and not to front-end load it, right? Well, I'm going to put 25% in my 401k in the first three months because some plans allow for that. But that kind of defeats the purpose of dollar cost averaging if you've maxed that out. Exactly. Year, and yeah. then it just comes down to lucky timing. Yeah. Which really there's, the, you know, it, it, this I always tell my clients, the stock market is the opposite of the casino, all right? right. <laughs> casino. That's great. The longer you spend at the casino... All right, and they know this. All right, the longer you spend the casino, the more money you're going to lose. Right, and a stock market or investments in general. You don't have to, you know, just say stocks, but there's a lot of investments. The longer time you're there, the more money you're going to make. Yeah, and it's total opposite. Yeah, that's that's great, and I, I hope everyone is a, a nugget, depending on how savvy you are from an investment standpoint. And you can always reach out to Chris as well. We'll give his number at the end. That dollar cost averaging. You know, my example of thirty five dollars a day, or you know, that's a, a couple hundred dollars a month, like. Too little is never too little, right? That's right. You know, you save what you can save, and over the course of time, that compounds. That's right. I mean, we have clients that are putting in as little as $100 a month. Right. You know, just something. You know, my own family, my own daughters, well, my own daughter, excuse me. I mean, she's young, and that's one of the first things I taught her. Put in something. Right. It doesn't have to be a lot. Just put in something every month. Let it just come right out of your check. You're not going to feel it, yeah. you know, and uh, put into a separate account. Get that account invested. You know, you had mentioned earlier about, you know, plans now that you start to see come to fruition a little bit with kids going to school. Could you talk a little bit about the benefits of a 503B? Is it 503B? 529. Oh, I'm sorry. 529. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, that's a nonprofit. No, sorry. <laughs> 529 college plan. A 529. So, so we, do, we do a fair amount of 529 college plans. Yeah. Um, it's really the only beneficial college plan that's out there right now. Um, sure. Back in the day, we used to do what's called UGMA, Uniform Gift to Minors Act, um, right. which was an educational plan. The negative in that plan, one of the big negatives that people saw, was at 18, it was actually the child's money. All right. So that okay. money, you'd actually have to open up an individual account for that child to take possession of the money. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, we'd all like to think that at 18 years old, our child is going to make the most, the best decision with well, that money. Chris and I may or may not have had this conversation <laughs> off the air <laughs> about kids. That's <laughs> right. But we both know maybe there's one, you know, that may not make the best decision and go out and buy, buy themselves a nice car. So, um, so that was a real, you know, that was a real turnoff to a lot of people. All right. Yeah. So they opened up this 529 plan and there are a lot of benefits to the 529 plan. Um, obviously the biggest, the biggest benefit is the tax efficiency that that money is invested post-tax, after taxes, but that money grows tax-free as long as it's taken 
for higher education. Understood. Uh, what a lot of people don't know about that part of the 529 is higher education could be anything tied to higher education, which could be books, which could be housing, which could be commuter costs. There's a lot of things that fit into that category. It's pretty broad. And as long as they take that money, all right, um, they'll take it tax-free. The second biggest part of that, and uh, I found this with my clients, is child one gets a scholarship, doesn't need the money. You could actually pass that to child two. Right. Okay. Uh, child two doesn't go to college. You could pass that to child three. So there's a lot of, and by the way, higher education is not only college. It, it could be it could be any uh, level of higher education. Trade uh, school. Trade school. Yeah. yeah. Anything like that, it could be used for as well. All right. Now, so you don't, as long as you use that money for education, let's yep. say, then you're not going to pay taxes on the growth Correct. at all. What happens if none of the kids go to school? So then that money would be taxed when they take it. Um, okay. It would be a 10% penalty okay um so so it is definitely meant for education okay Understood. it would be treated almost like a ira like a digital ira and again again we keep talking about time you can't start that too early that's okay. a, yeah i mean yeah. I, I have clients you know I, i'm talking to clients about starting that when their child is born right you know, as soon as the child is born and healthy i'm talking to them about getting that started the earlier the better yeah and you know it's hard just coming from a couple of guys with experience with uh, chris and myself with having older kids when you have kids and they're one year old you never think they're going to go to you never think it's actually going to happen and it does right you know right. eventually right. they actually they're are they're in school and you have to, to pay college. for that's right stuff. and by the way inflation comes into account then too yeah, great you know, point. I mean, think about that. I mean, well, that probably goes higher than three percent. Exactly. Year, right? I, I, I don't even know what the inflation numbers are, but they're much higher in college. Yeah. So if you're looking at a hundred thousand dollar education today, um, that's going to be a lot higher in twenty years from now. Yeah, that's a great point, you know, Chris. So. so, could you help explain to everyone the difference between temporary and permanent life insurance? Yeah. So, so well, temporary, te temporary and permanent could be the same thing. It could be just a term life okay. um, policy. So, Great point. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, back in the day in doing this, you know, as an advisor, you learn every day as well. You know, you never stop learning. And I used to really come from the camp of, you know, term is best, invest the rest. Yeah. <laughs> you know what By I mean? By term, invest the difference. Yeah, I exactly. wrote that but, down. Yeah. Why do we know that? Well, How come you we know, all that, know that? That was just, you know, that was just something that came to us, you know, from, I guess, I don't know if it was ads on, I don't know, yeah. I don't know where I got that from. I've just heard it before, yeah, you know? Same. And I, I fell into that camp. Yeah. You know, term is best, invest the rest. Term is cheaper. Um, and then I, actually, when I came to my current company, uh, started learning where real wealth is accumulated. Right. Okay. Um, and when you talk, when you hear things that, you know, um, the one percenters aren't paying their fair share in taxes, um, the one percenters, I'm not going to have that debate or not, but what I will tell you is that the reason they're not paying a lot in taxes is because they know where to take the money from. Right. They're not selling investments with huge cap gains, they're borrowing. And where right. is the borrowing coming from? A lot of time it's borrowing from cash value in their insurance policies. <laughs> That's a nugget, guys. I yeah, hope you heard that. They're yeah. smart. I yeah. mean, they're smart. You know, and they'll set these up for their young children as well. And right. we'll have those discussions, you know, of setting up these cash value policies. Are they higher in cost? Yes. Okay, there is an insurance component that's going to cost a lot more than the term part, but that's because they have cash value at the end. Right. With the term policy, you use it or you lose it. Hopefully you don't use it. Right. You know, so so there's a big difference, but you create you could create a lot of wealth and in insurance in, in in certain types of insurance policies. Now, does an annuity fall under that category as well, Chris? An annuity will have an insurance component, but okay. it's a totally different type of investment. I see. Okay. Um, and annuities, um, 
there's a lot of, again, pros and cons to an annuity, all right? And we have to really sit down and when we speak to a client, either a client or a potential client, speak to them if that's going to fit into their investment strategy. Right. Um, but there is an insurance component of an annuity, and there's a hundred different types of annuities. And I will tell you that I've seen a lot of bad ones out there. Right. But I've also dealt with a lot of good ones. And mm -hmm. what's great about an annuity is that the insurance part could give you a living, what's called a living benefit. Okay. So if somebody comes to me and says, you know, I need $100,000 a year to retire on, and I'll, I'm going to ask them, you know, I'm going to ask them a few questions, and, and the question that I can't, I, I'll answer a few questions, but the questions I can't answer is, what is the market going to do, okay, over the time period when you're going to need this money? And what are interest rates going to be right. when it's time to take the money? You know, if you have a million dollars saved up and interest rates are 1% like they were a year ago, that's giving you $10,000 a year. If they're 5%, it's giving you $50,000 a year. Right. So an annuity with a living benefit could really come in handy, okay? And again, this is a case-by-case -case basis, is that we could say, look, regardless of what that market does and that interest rate environment is, if you put enough, if you put this kind of money away, this is how much income you'll be getting at this point regardless. Okay. And that's where annuities could come in really handy. Yeah. It's yeah. A, that's great. Yeah. Now, okay, variable life, is that a whole life policy where you can pick investments on it? So a whole life policy, you're invested in the market okay, yes. and you're invested in mutual funds. It's a little different in annuity. You're also invested in mutual funds, but okay. they just call them sub accounts. Got it. So yeah. And, and a, a negative to annuities is that they, some, not all, could be very limited to the amount of investment options, which is also a negative, not to go too far back, but also a negative in 401ks. Yeah, it makes they sense. Could be, they could be have limited options. To okay. In. So along those lines, how frequently should people be revisiting their strategy in making sure the money's in the right places? Uh, that's a great question. So the way we do our financial planning is a little bit different. Like I said, we break it down into you know a, a much us, much less amount of pages to go through for the client. And we also give them action items each year that we should be striving towards, okay. kind of goals. Because what you don't want is you don't want to provide a financial plan to somebody, go over it one time, and then leave it alone. Let's face it, it's a working document, right. okay? It, it, your life is going to change year to year, okay? There's going to be, you know, may want to buy a second home, or you may want to travel more, whatever the case may be. The market may give you different results than you were expecting. So what we'll do is we'll... Um, do a fact-finding um, kind of exercise with the with the client. Mm -hmm. Then I'll work with an outside team. Who, this is all they do. They will share the results with me. I will share those results with the client. We will then, you know, based on what the client's feedback is, give them a proper plan, and then we'll revisit that plan once a year. Okay. Yeah, I think once a year is, is, is a fair amount of time, you know, for things to change um, and then to re-examine it and see what we want to add. Do you get a lot of phone around. calls when the market's so volatile? Not so much in my practice. Okay. I mean, I think our level of education to our clients and I think the level of reach out is so great yeah. that it's not like our clients aren't hearing from us. Yeah. You know, we hear a lot of stories from our competitors or clients that are coming into us that they haven't heard from their advisor when the market's down. And that's one of their biggest peeves. We are very proactive yeah. and even more proactive when the market's down. And this really limits our calls. Now we that will get sense. the we will get the one. Yeah, sure. We all, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean it's 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 people it's, get nervous. It's very common. People yeah. get nervous. I mean, you know, things are and if they're watching the news, they're even getting more nervous, you know, right. and you know, and the media plays a big part in in how they feel day to day. And they should never, you know, I tell my team 
um, is that our clients should never feel like they can't call us at any point in time, mm -hmm. but we should be making the calls out. They shouldn't right. have to call us. If they called us because they're nervous, it means we haven't had enough proactive approach. Yeah, that them. makes perfect sense because right. people get nervous because they don't know. Right. 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 And it gives know. you the opportunity to educate people as to what's going on and you know what 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 our feelings are short and long term. Right. Uh, well, this time is different. That, that we hear that all the time. Yeah. This time is different. The financial right. crisis is different. The tech crisis was different. COVID right. is different. Fact of the matter is, it's different. It's a different. You know, it's different. But the outcome is going to be the same. Yeah, in great which point. case, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna yeah. have confidence in in the United States and right. confidence in the Stay market. Stay the course. Stay the course. I, I, Chris, we're going to take a quick break and come back. Greg Wareham, Christy Gregorio will be back with you in one second. So I want to thank today's sponsor. We're sponsored today by Popcorn for the People. Popcorn for the People is a social enterprise of Let's Work for Good, which is a nonprofit dedicated to creating meaningful and sustainable employment to combat the nearly 90% unemployment rate for adults with autism and developmental disabilities. It's a great cause. Now, the organization prides themselves on high-quality and delicious popcorn made by their neurodiverse team members, and they're creating more than just jobs, but also career opportunities for individuals who have been overlooked in the past. Rather than using mass manufacturing machines, their popcorn is handcrafted in small batches, allowing them to promote numerous job skills and tasks that can be performed by team members of varying disabilities. You know, they're proud to be the first to establish not only jobs, but also career opportunities that focus on respect, equal wages, and career advancement opportunities for their entire team. This results in team members gaining confidence, building courage, and understanding that there can be options in society for everybody. So I can't say enough good things about Popcorn for the People. And you can support them by buying their popcorn and giving donations would help them expand a, a larger manufacturing facility so they can offer more opportunities to more people. To contact Popcorn for the People, go directly to their website, which is popcornforthepeople.com. And you can learn more about their organization, purchase popcorn from there, and donate as well. Thanks again, Popcorn of the People, today's sponsor. Welcome back, everybody. Of course, I'm Greg Wareham with Your Mortgage Process, our, ho our uh, guest today, Christy Gregorio. Chris, I want to circle back to something. You had mentioned SEP IRAs earlier for self-employed people. How critical is it that someone who's self-employed is investing in a SEP IRA? Super. Because, again, you want that you want that bucket that's at least growing tax-deferred. It won't give you a tax-free option, but it'll give you a tax-deferred option. Sure. Right? So you want to, you know, when we do our financial plans, we, we actually put it out on paper, different buckets. You know, and one of those bu buckets is going to be your qualified money and your non-qualified money. Right. Non-qualified money, all right, when you're putting it to work, is tough. You've already paid taxes on the money you've invested, mm -hmm. and now you've got to pay taxes on the gains that you've earned. So you're being almost double taxed on the money. So if you're in a 30% bracket, you've already paid 30% on the money going in, right? Yeah. And now you're paying 20% on the money coming out. Yeah, great point. All right, so yep. the SEP IRA just gives one more option to a self-employed person to put qualified money away. Also, they don't fall under those 401k limits of you know either 19 and change or 26,000 and change. They could actually, depending on what their accountant says, and they should check with their accountant first, put sometimes up to 60, $61,000 a year away. So if, and that's coming off ordinary income. Yeah, you're not paying taxes on that's it. That's coming off ordinary yeah. income. So if you're in a 30% bracket, they're making $200,000, right? Yeah. You put that $60,000 away. Now that $200,000, they just dropped their income to one hundred forty. 
Right. Right. It's like free money. You're getting free a money. return on your investment right. before anything before else. Before anything happens. else. So, yeah. I mean, even if you put that in, uh, and I wouldn't recommend this but because it's long-term money for retirement, but even if you put it into something earning 4%, Right, you know, they're so far ahead, right, from the get-go. No question about it. You know, so and they could change that. It's they're not set in stone. Right. It's not like you have to do it. Some people think they have to put that amount away, or the, and that's that's a big misconception. You know, well, the accountant will tell you how much you're allowed to that's put away. That's exactly right? right. Yeah, and that's why it's really important that you work with a good accountant. Yeah. Um, and in a, I'm not I'm I'm not an accountant. I can't give account uh, accounting or tax advice, but I will work with a, if we if they're working with an outside account, will work with that account throughout the course. Of the year sure. to make sure that whatever I do or whatever action we're taking for the client is going to fit them best in taxes. So yeah, it's important that we work with the other professionals. Yeah, that's fantastic, Chris. Yeah. Hey, what are your thoughts on disability insurance? Like it hurt, someone gets hurt on the job and they have a stream of income coming in. They get hurt in general. You get, a, God forbid, a car accident or something like that. Disability insurance is cheap enough for everyone to have. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a high risk um, insurance for the insur- insurance companies to provide. Okay. Um, so I have had, I have had clients, um, you know, I just, I had one client a few years ago who fell off a ladder and if it wasn't for his disability insurance, he would have been in trouble. So I I agree a hundred percent. Most employers will definitely give their employees disability insurance options Mm -hmm. and they're generally really, really cheap. Yeah. So I, I, I would always have That's that. That's great. I was reading topic. somewhere that 20, and I didn't know this, 26% of Americans have some form of a disability. 26%. 26%. Now, I don't know how that equates to permanent and Social Security and all of that. 26, one out of four people. Big number. It's huge, big right? Big number. Yeah, big You're number. You're 100 million people. Right. So, I mean, you know, I, you know, I think disability insurance, I don't know what it, I mean, maybe $100 a month, if yeah. that, coming out of your paycheck, pre-tax. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah, definitely an arrow wrong? in the quiver that, you know. So when do you feel someone should make a will? So it's, it's incredible to me how many high net worth people I meet that don't have a will. Right. Okay. And they're leaving it to the state to decide on how their money is going to be distributed. And they're actually going to end up in probate, which could be a lengthy and very costly process. Right. So, you know, to me... A will got very important to me when I had my first child. Yeah. Okay, when I had my first child, um, because now that whole and it's an, it's I'll tell you when we went, my wife and I, I, I remember that that instance where we went to meet the attorney to put together a will. It's a weird conversation, you yeah. know. Who am I going to leave my child to if you know we're in a plane together and it goes down? Right. You know, um, you know. As soon as it, there's two, there's two. I tell clients two things. You should have a will when you start accumulating wealth, mm-hmm. okay? Because you don't want problems within the family, okay? And you don't want extra costs and probate and all these other things. And you, you have to have a will when you have a child, right? All right, or multiple children, of course. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. So it, I've also seen through the mortgage process over the course of time, I see a lot of trusts. Yeah. And people set up trusts. You know, why would somebody set up a trust? And I know you're not an attorney, but but why, why would they do it? So a, tr- a trust, there's, by the way, there's a million different types of trusts, right. revocable and irrevocable, sure. and there's all, all different types of trusts. But people do put, put money into trust a lot of times to take assets out of their estate is one of the most common things that I see. Okay. So right now, New Jersey isn't really dealing with a big estate tax, okay? I, I forgot the number, but the number is huge. I mean, you okay. have to be super wealthy, okay? Right. Um, but a lot of times what they'll do is they'll take certain assets and put them into a trust, and that'll take them out of that estate tax bracket that they might have to pay. That's one of the most common Makes uses sense. of a trust. But if you speak to an estate attorney, there are trusts for 
everything. Another thing that we've used in the past, um, you know, that I've spoken to estate attorneys and set up for clients are charitable trusts. Have you heard anything about those? No. Could you talk about those? Sure. I mean, a charitable trust is is if somebody it doesn't really have anybody to leave their money to, okay, which we have that. You know, I, I have a, a client who their husband passed, and, you know, they, she really only has her sister, and her sister is, is well above her means where right. she could live. So she wants to leave the money to charity. What happens with a charitable trust, which is really cool, is you could take distributions for the rest of your life off that charitable trust. Right. All right? Tax-free. As long as the money goes to the charity that you choose. Okay. So you could do a great thing and then live off the dividends, you know, tax free. Oh, that's that great. Yeah. So it's a, it, it's a great thing we use. That's fantastic. Yeah. I uh, and it's a special. It depends on the individual. It, it right? all depends on the individual. So you could actually have a charitable trust and other trusts. You could probably break things down in a bunch of different ways. That's right. And the trust yeah. will also, you know, and, and I think we huh. were speaking about this before the podcast. A trust a lot of times will, will put assets away in certain areas, you know, like like property and so on and right. so forth. Um, it, it'll, it'll separate those assets from, you know, problems with the family. You know what I mean? So when someone passes away, um, you know, this trust is set up, let's say hypothetically for a child to get this property, you know, or so it can be used in many ways. Yeah. And we were talking about that before, because one thing that you, you wouldn't want to see happen will trust. And and part of the value for that is that God forbid something happens. Do you really want the people that are left that are already upset because that individual or individuals had passed away fighting over money and putting any strain on the relationships when at that point in time, it's the most important time the relationships have to be tight. Right. Worst right? thing in the world. And I've seen it firsthand. Yeah, you it's know, sad. I've seen it firsthand. And it is sad. You know, um, I know I have three children. So, you know, the way I put things together is, you know, again, one is always going to be more responsible than the others. Um, but in the same <laughs> respect, you want to get your affairs in order. It, where it will, it will basically have the least impact on the children. Right. You know, that, that's, that's the, or, or any of your loved ones that right. you believe in. That makes sense. Yeah. What percentage of money do you think people should be saving of their income? So we do something really cool in our financial plans, mm-hmm. which is giving us the amount of money that they have left over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, I always recommend an emergency fund because right. there's always emergencies. All right. So there's always a, a percentage of um, money that should be left over just in case. All right. But for the most part, everything other than that should be invested. Now, when I say invested, there should be buckets. So I'm not talking about invested in an aggressive bucket that's going out 20 years. Right. All right. But Cash is not king at the banks. I will tell you that right now. You know, cash is not king. You know, when you're sitting there and you're earning a quarter of a percent or a half a percent, um, and the bank is going out and lending that money at four, five, six percent, that's right. how a bank becomes a bank. You should have money that's, you know, maybe six months out or one one year out. You could talk to your financial institutions. A lot of people come to me for cash alternatives. Right. You know, so even if you're not invested, so you have your, you have your cash account, okay, there's really no percentage per se. Some people like six months of money in, in reserves. Some people like a year of money in reserves. Yeah. The rest of whatever we figure out in the financial plan that they have left over should be invested in one yeah. of these buckets. You got to have your money working for you. All the time. And I love the term you use, cash alternative, yeah, right? Just because right. you tie it up for a short period of time doesn't make it any less cash. That's right. That's right. right. And there are cash alternatives out there. You know, most financial institutions will offer them. But what happens is a lot of people are just used to the banks, right. you know, and it's convenient per se. You know, um, one of the things that we do in our financial plans is we put everything in one, on one page so people could see all their assets on one right. page, you know, and uh, 
we don't like large cash balances sitting at banks. Yeah, it makes it's, sense. It's, it's hurting. It's hurting their overall picture. It's hurting their future. It's helping the bank. And it's helping the bank. Yeah, you right. know, being a someone who's been in the mortgage industry for 25 years, I've always had the view that mortgage debt is a great debt to have due to some certain tax deductions that you could potentially have with it. You know, it, in your opinion, Chris, is there anything such thing as a good debt? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So there's bad debt and good debt. Right. You know? So bad debt is a credit card. Uh, you put you know, $20,000 on it, you buy something and, and it takes you 10 years to pay off. And now that 20,000 is turned into 30 or $35,000. That's bad debt, right. you know, buying things you can't afford on credit is bad debt. You know, buying a car for $200,000 and you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, that's bad debt. But what is good debt? Yeah. You know, so, you know, good debt is just like you said, you know, I, I had a, a instance not too long ago where a client um, is buying a million dollar home. They have to make a cash offer, mm -hmm. okay, to buy this house. Right. So they're buying the house a million dollars in cash. All right. But then they could actually borrow, okay, they could actually borrow the money from a, let's say, advisory account, borrow that money, 3%, okay, and use that money to buy the house and still have assets working for them. That's mm. great debt. You know? It is. Absolutely. So, you know, anytime you could borrow at a lower rate than you could make, to me, is good debt. You know, and again, that kind of goes back to the wealthy. We're talking about that's what wealthy people, people do. do. They leverage, 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 and they understand this stuff. Right. And if you don't understand it, it's okay. You know, you have people like Chris in the world that can help educate you on this. Yeah. Uh, so how important is diversification? Diversification, I spend a lot of time there. Yeah. You know, and um, I'll tell you, this is this is going back to 401ks. This is where I see one of the biggest problems is that um, when people choose their 401k options, they're not getting any sort of education whatsoever. So what most people do, I'll tell you, 99% of people do, what's done best for the last 10 years, you know, and they're not taking all of the other things into account. I'm not going to use all of the technical terms that we use in picking our portfolios, but um, diversification is usually important. Now, what's become very common is target funds and those type of vehicles that you know, your vanguards and your fidelities yeah. are touting, okay? Yeah, I, just along those lines, I, I hate to cut you yeah. short, but it even goes, there's no education on those because Zero. you see them and it's a button that says target 2045 or 2030. That's all you see as the consumer. So you're like, well, all right, well, I guess I'm retiring here. Hit the button, right? <laughs> exactly, the, and that's what they choose. Yeah. And there's very, to there's no transparency. Right. You know, there's no transparency to what they own. There's no transparency from the one organization's 2045 fund to another organization's 2045 fund. Right. They may have a totally different allocation. And no. odds are they do, right? And, and odds are they do. And odds are they do. Hmm. So diversification is majorly important. Now, this is an interesting fact that we find in our financial plans, um, which you may be, which your listeners may really want to be aware of, is that because of people know, thinking that their money has to be more and more conservative leading up to retirement, and that is the truth. It does to some aspect. They also have to understand that they may be retired as long, if not longer, than they're working for. Right. So in our example of a target fund, it's broken because what happens is, all right, I'm going to retire in 2045, so I'm going to pick a 2045 target fund. At 2045, my money is liquid. It's pretty much in cash right now. It's ready for me. So I don't have to worry about what happened you know, in 2044, all right? I don't have to worry about the market crash. Right. Great. Now you're in cash. Now it's 2045. You're going to live to 2075. Now what? Now what? Stock. Well, just, yeah. well, I mean, now you're on cash. Right. So now what do you do? Start again? 
Right. You know, so they're always so diversification super important to answer your question, but you have to diversify not to the point of where you retired going completely conservative. You always have to have you know something working for you, right? Straight into retirement, right? A lot of people make that mistake. Yeah, no, and again, that's a that's a great point on it. Because in, when you look at as you get older, I and mean, people are obviously living longer, everyone knows that your average age is eighty. Let's right. say on on average, women live longer. I was going to say for <laughs> men, <laughs> right? Uh, rightfully so, they're better people than us. Yes, that's, that's another conversation. Absolutely, whole different conversation. <laughs> but you're also going to be forced at some point in time to start to withdraw money out of the market. That's right. Right, you're seventy and a half, I believe. You have to, or did they increase it? Out of your four hundred one, uh, out of your IRA, excuse me, they okay. increased it now to seventy two. Okay, I might presume. Assumption and just guess is that'll probably as people get to live longer, probably they'll you know they'll they'll change that, make it older. But at right now it's seventy two years old. Makes sense, and we will get there. So when you look at these, going back to the two thousand forty five fund, it's kind of like we were talking before when you when you have a newborn, right? You never really think they're going to college. You know when you're when you're fifty one like me, you, you you really can you picture yourself retired? No, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and you yeah. got to make sure that you're prepared for it. Right, and you have to distribute that money properly. Yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. When should people start de developing a financial plan? So I will tell you when they should start, and I'll tell you when I see people do it. Okay, Okay. great. So I think, again, when you get married, I think that's when a financial plan – well, I, I shouldn't say when you get married. When you start accumulating a fair amount of wealth, and, and that could be different to everybody, whatever sure. that number is, all right? right? Um, you should start a financial plan because a financial plan is giving you so many different things. It's not just giving you how to invest your money, but how to tax efficiently invest your money. Okay, Again, distribution strategies down the road, implementing diversification, which sure. we spoke about. There's so many things within a financial plan that it's only going to help. Right. So, you know, to me, you know, I, I think it, at, at 40 years old is usually the number that I think people should really start taking it seriously. Because let's face it, before then we have children, most people, not everybody. Mm. Um, you're spending you a spend lot of it. money. Yeah. You spend a lot of money then, right? Yeah. So it's, it's some of the top money spending years there are. But what I see is most people are between 50 and 60. Wow. And more people between 55 and 60. And I'm going to tell you why. So what happens, Greg, is they get to this point where they've accumulated this wealth. And sometimes they've accumulated in a lot of different areas. They've accumulated in their IRA. They've accumulated in their 401k. They've accumulated in their whatever, you know, their non-qual accounts, real estate. And they have all these different pieces of the puzzle, and it then becomes really hard to manage it. Sure. And it really becomes hard to distribute it and see where that big picture is going to be. And the most common question I get almost every day that I'm doing financial planning is, will I outlive my money? Hmm. And a good financial plan will reassure you that, you know, you either will or will yeah. not, you know? Yeah. And you know what? You really, you know, we put together plans for so many things in life. You know, I get a workout regimen, right? That's, right? That's my plan is a That's workout. Right. You know, this is how I structure myself professionally. And here's my plan as to where I want to get. It, it just feels like whether it's through lack of education or lack of discipline that people don't focus on their financial plan statistically don't focus on their financial plan the way they should be. It's as important as your health. Right. And, and why do you go to a trainer? I mean, there's a yeah. lot of reasons to go to a trainer, but one of the big reasons people go to a trainer is accountability. Yeah. And a financial plan gives you accountability yeah. because you have different steps you need to take. Mm -hmm. And we're going to hold our clients to those steps, all right? Mm -hmm. If they don't do it, they don't do it. But we're going to push them to do it, and they are held accountable to making certain financial decisions that will help them in the future. Sure. So I was reading through a Gallup poll the other day, and 58% of people own some sort of stock, 
right? Whether or not 401k, whatever the stock, you know, you know, all the different products. And that's down from 62% from 2001 to 2008. And unfortunately, it's a lot lower with people of color. It's even lower than that. You know, I look at that and I say, you know, it's a lot of that's a product of education, right? right? And understanding what you need to need to do. You know, how do you think we can go about better educating people? Well, you know, it's interesting because you've had kids that are either in or out of school. I have kids that are, are either finished or, or finishing school. And I think it starts there. I mean, I you know, I, I yeah. you know, I know that kids don't balance checkbooks anymore like we used to What's do in checkbook? the old days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they you never taught I mean? it to you in right. school. Right. They either. never taught it to you in school yeah. either, right? So, you know, my kids have come out, I've asked them certain questions. Now I think schools are getting better. Like, yeah. you know, I have a really funny story where my, my daughter, when she was in school, she started, she was in an investment club and she had to pick 20 stocks. And one of the, I'm looking through her stocks and she has Apple and she has Amazon. And then all of a sudden I look and she has Carnival. And I'm thinking to myself, Carnival? I go, honey, she was real young at the time. She yeah. must've been seven or eight years old. I go, honey, why did you pick Carnival? She goes, dad, I love Carnivals. <laughs> <laughs> go all in. I'm all in. I love carnivals. Oh, that's fantastic. I love carnivals. Oh, I love, and that's why I love carnival, kids. you know? Yeah. I thought it was a funny story, uh, but the fact <laughs> of the matter is they have to do better, I think, in school, yeah. you know, um, of educating people. And I think there's another phenomenon that's come around recently, and that's the phenomenon of certain institutions put, you know, there's a lot of different things people could invest in now, and the ease of investment yeah. is not so easy. And what that's done is push people into making their own decisions, especially when they're young and they get bad taste in their mouths because yeah. they have bad decisions. No one's teaching them from these certain institutions, put your money away, put it in good quality companies, yeah. let those qualities earn and dividends and dividend reinvestment. No, they want to get rich quick. Crypto. Yeah, there you go. As, yeah. as a perfect example. And they have a bad, they have a bad, you know, I have a restaurant owner who's very wealthy, but doesn't have a lot of money invested. And I just started working with him. And why? He had a bad crypto. You know, he had a bad, you know, he, he might have invested in a stock that was a meme stock. I'm not going right. to mention names, you know, that, you know, he's trying to get rich on. Yeah. And in my opinion, yes, there are people that probably get pretty lucky. But now we're talking more about luck. Than and investing. you know, when you, yeah, when you look at something like crypto, and I'm not saying anything negative about it, because some people made a lot of money doing it. It's you, how do you even begin to understand what the product truly is? Right. That's right. Uh, you know, even, you know, and I'm. I'm relatively well-read on different things, trying to understand blockchains and, you know, I, it's overwhelming. You know, it, I mean, do you have any experience with crypto at all? I, I feel the same way as you do. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of teach my clients and I was kind of taught this early in my career and I've kind of stuck by it is I want to invest in things I understand. Yeah. Okay. I want to invest in companies that make money. Yeah. All right. Um, and that have been around forever. Soon as you get outside of my understanding yeah. of what it is, you know, um, then I'm not really interested in it. Definitely not for my clients, you know, definitely not. For my, yeah. And crypto has always been a, um, it's been, uh, I would say, uh, a mystery to me. Yeah, you, <laughs> you know, know, same. And again, I'm not saying anything bad about right. it. Maybe I just don't understand. Could be great. Or maybe I'm just an old man. I don't yeah, understand yeah, me it. Too. Therefore, Could be great. Yeah. I stick with things that I know. So what's your feeling on where the stock market's going? We know it's been volatile this year. It has. I, You know, there's, look, this time is different. 
right? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about that, yeah. <laughs> this time is different, right? So we have inflation, and 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 you know we we have you know a, a, still an ongoing war in Ukraine and Russia, right. and and we have rising interest rates, and and what's been different about this market before I go to where I think it's going to end up is what's different about this market is people aren't getting a lot of save, uh, that 60-40 split or that 50-50 split in bonds and, and stocks, right. bonds and equities, isn't saving them this year. Right. That's different. You know, that's different than right. I've seen yeah, in I've a long that. time, sure. you know, where interest rates are going higher, so it's lowering the value of their bonds. And yep. I think the aggregate's down about 10% this year. Yeah. And then stocks are going down as well, where you usually yeah. have an inverse You usually don't see both at the same you have time. have an inverse relationship. I couldn't agree with you more. So those portfolios aren't working, and we've, we've put together a lot of strategies to put alternatives together and stuff like that. Right. As far as the market and where it's going to go, I will tell you this. I never know where the market's going to go. Mm -hmm. But I know over the long term, I believe the market's always going to go higher. Yeah. You know, um, But there will always be bumps in the road. There will always be different times. Um, and we're just dealing with a very different time right now. You know, I, I at times feel that the market runs on fear, right? Because you see these wild shifts in the marketplace. And, and just as a, as a lay person looking at it, and I, I pay attention to this stuff, but I'm, I'm, I would never call myself an expert. I go, gosh, all right, well, if stock's dropping day, let me use Amazon as an example. Well, stock goes down. Well, has anyone hit the button any less to have something sent from their house yesterday as compared to today, right? right. You know, earnings that much uh, more impacted. Like, I feel at times nothing really fundamentally changed, yet you see these, you know, aggressive drops. Right. You know? And, and, and again, well, yes, fear is, is yeah. the biggest thing, right? Because you're right. Nothing fundamentally has changed. I mean, clients, excuse me, um... Uh, companies, they report their earnings. You kind of know what they're kind of doing. And you know what a good company is and what a bad sure. company is. You know, a lot of people this year, they got stuck in, and, and, and we were we were totally against it, in some of these high-growth multiple companies where they're trading to a price where they would have to earn 100 times, 200 times more than they're earning. Mm. A lot of people got stuck in those traps this year that we've okay. tried to help people in. But yes, in, in a case like Amazon, no. I get nine Amazon packages a day. <laughs> me personally, I'm supporting Amazon, you know? So, uh, I you mean, me Amazon, both. you know, Apple, you know, I'm buying Apple products. I don't even know why I buy them. The phone's always the same, but I buy it, you know? So these are good companies. Well, it just shows up. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Charge shows exactly. Up. It's a kid factor. Yeah, it's exactly. You needed, you know, Apple 13 and, you know, and all right. of these different phones and, yeah. and iPads and stuff. They make it smaller, 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 bigger, 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 and you buy it. Right. So these are good companies, you right. know? Walmart, these are good companies, the companies that are going to thrive. So why they go down yes they go down to fear yeah. is one of the big things right and people just saying oh well, everything's going to go down company has to change but i'm going to sell right but you got to also understand it's a big institutional factor out there too which mm. you, you got to look at you know um it, it's not the me and you who's moving yeah. the market it's yeah. the institutions and it's the algorithms that move the market and yeah. those algorithms are way i wouldn't say smarter than me they're way ahead of what they they have their own set of rules, and if they see certain things, these algorithms are going to sell. Yeah, and that's, and that's why you see those big. Drops. That's like seventy percent of the market now. It's yeah, just algorithms, algorithms. Algorithms. It's not just you and I. Now, if you understand that, it gives you even more of a chance to buy these companies at a deeper price. Sure. And it's a very old saying back in the day, but if you liked it at this price. Why don't you like it when it's on sale at this price? Right. But we're in the only industry where people run away from sales. You know, it's when, great. When something's yeah. on a sale, they run away. Uh, it's fantastic, Chris. You know, but it's hard. It's hard. It's, yeah, you got to no, be courageous. No, it is. I you mean, know? even going back to, if I go back to 2008, when stocks were plummeting, 2009, right in that time frame. 2008, yeah, it was, uh, it was right? a big one. <laughs> so you get the banking stock. I've been in banking forever, right? 
banking stock is plummeting. Yeah. You know, people are running away from it. That's right. But at the end of the day, now those stocks are worth a ton of money. That's right. And if you invested in it then, I yeah. mean, I remember Ford back then and all of these different. Right. I mean, I remember Citibank. Ford bonds trading at nine cents on the dollar back That's then. Hard to believe. You know, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, and again, there was some, there was some was fair. messes in yeah. 2008 as well. I don't think we're in a 2008 right now. You right. know, there was some real fundamental challenges that banks had taken on back then. Yeah, no question. A different time, yep. you know. Um, and I don't the, think we'll see that again. My, I my think opinion. there's a lot of things in place. Yeah. We may see something different. There's a lot of things in place now, and the banks are held a little bit more accountable than they were back then. And sure. you know, back then it was the mortgage crisis and so on and so forth. But um, but you know now. I think that we're at a different time, but again, the same thing will play out. I mean, look, I mean, even in the COVID crisis that we just went through, look at where the market had bottomed out at, you know? Right. And now, who was investing during the COVID time? And let's face it, we, we were in a lot of fear during COVID. I don't think investing was on the forefront of everybody's mind. Sure. But if you had invested on those dips and keep, when the Dow, if you remember the, the Dow was trading two, down 2,000 points one day, yeah. 3,000 points. Yeah. Think about where you would be today. So what I see is when we do our portfolio management is the person that held versus the person who cost average, going back to your point. Yeah. Person who, cost, person who held will get back. Right. The person who cost average will get back quicker. Just the way it is. It's a nugget, guys. Yeah, just the way it is. So give me one piece of advice, Chris, that you give to someone looking to develop a financial plan. Get started. <laughs> do the homework. Yeah. Right? So a financial plan takes a little bit of work from their end. You know, they have to put together their financial statements. They have to put together a budget. Uh, if that, if that, that's, sometimes we'll do it with a budget. Sometimes we're not. With it. But at least we have to have a good understanding of what they're, you know, spending. Sure. Um, I think people don't know sometimes. A lot of people, they don't know. Yeah. And a lot of times it's interesting in a relationship how one person doesn't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. We'll sit down and they go, oh, we're spending that? Yeah, we're, we're spending that, you know? So it's interesting. And that's why I like to meet a lot of times in our practice, we like to meet uh, the spouses, you know, uh, sure. the, and the couples together and not just one because they could have very different outlooks on what they're spending or even what their future may look like, right. you know. Uh, so spending is a big part because what we want to do is get out of the spending part of it, the financial plan, is find out where the excess is right. and how that excess could be best utilized. Sure. So I think people, you know, I think financial plan, I think, is to answer your question, it's a broad term, and I think people get a little nervous about it, okay? Right. Because maybe they've got one that was 100 pages and they couldn't disseminate mm -hmm. through it, or maybe they think it's a huge cost, you know, to do it, sure. um, which it's not, by the way. Um, at least not through our practice. People charge differently. So I, I would say the first thing you have to do is start. Don't be afraid of it. Start. You know, without, what do they say? Without, a, you know, you plan to fail, you fail to plan. Yeah. Right? And it's the same in financial No question. Planning. Maybe they're even a little bit afraid. They don't want to know. Like when sure. you start doing expense management, I mean, I do it because I do it. Right. You keep a spreadsheet and you look sometimes, you're like, oh my gosh, where did we spend all this money? And you're, right. where do you, right? Because right. you got a lot of kids, you got a lot of things going on. And I think sometimes people, they don't want to know. Right. Well, we're dealing with business owners. The yeah. business owners know how much you're spending in their business. They have to. They have to have a right. P&L, right? But they don't know how much money they're spending in their personal life. Right. You know? And going back to your example, even $35 a week or, or a month, whatever the number was, it adds up over time. You know, I mean, if you buy something for $1,000 that's frivolous, it didn't cost you $1,000. It cost you $1,000 plus 7% compounding over the next 30 years. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, that doesn't mean, I mean, I've heard some people say, don't buy your Starbucks. People are still going to buy Starbucks. But at least look, you know, at least look at what you're doing. Yeah, at and, least understand, and understand what that impact. decision is. Absolutely. Think you know? like the wealthy people. That's it.
So, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time today. It was fantastic, man. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you having me. And uh, if anybody needs some information from me or education, I could be reached. My uh, cell phone number is 718-614-6024, or my office number is 732-967-2665. And your your office is in Homedale, New Jersey. And can you give the phone number one more time? Sure. 732-967-2665. Fantastic. Chris, fantastic. Thanks for spending the time. Thank you for having me, Greg. Appreciate it. We appreciate everyone listening out there. Again, Greg Wareham, Chris Gregorio today. Please, we look forward to catching up with you next week, and we appreciate you listening today. Thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.